You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Well, good morning, Gospelite Baptist Church. Uh, If you'll open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, we're going to begin a new series uh, today. For the next four weeks, we're going to be talking about the real meaning of Christmas. And so I'm going to be your leadoff batter today. And then a preacher will come in and uh, he'll clean up uh, over the next three weeks uh, after me. So it's going to be great. I'm very excited. And we're going to be focusing in specifically on this verse in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And we'll read it just uh, here in just a moment. So as you're turning to Isaiah 9, 6, um, as you can tell, it is December and we have entered into the Christmas season uh, here in our nation. As you can see, our stage is lit up. We've got Christmas trees on each side. Um, I know for me and my family, we put up our Christmas tree yesterday at our home with all the ornaments and lights. Um, We even went um, out uh, to look at Christmas lights, we went to the dino lights out at Mid-America Museum just to uh, have fun with that and just be together as a family. Uh, it's an exciting time. You get to uh, have Christmas parties. You get to exchange gifts. You uh, have all the Christmas songs. Um, you've got everything going on with Christmas. You have the uh, children's Christmas program tonight. And hey, you even have the colors of Christmas. Hey, look at me. I wore my red shirt. See, I'm color coordinated. You know, so, you know, it's just that, you know, the most wonderful time of the year. And so, you know, it's an exciting time of the year. And as we get in uh, to this uh, message this morning, I want to make sure that you take notes. And so if you did not receive one of these when you came in, we have some men coming down. If you'll just raise your hand, they'll get you one because I want to make sure that you're able to take notes. So if you'll just get one of these ushers attention, they'll give you those notes uh, as we're about to begin this message. You know, Christmas... Uh, when we celebrate Christmas, we always think about good things, good things that are going on all around us, like I just described. And so, uh, but if you really think about it, Christmas really began because of bad news. It really did. Because we needed a Savior. And why is that? Because of our sin. When you look in the Old Testament, when you see the word sin used in the Old Testament, it comes from a Hebrew word uh, that means missing the mark. It's an archery term. And so when you see that word sin in Scripture, you can think of a a person drawing a a bow with an arrow and uh, they've got it aimed at a target. And when they let go of that arrow and it does not hit the bullseye, then it's a sin. You know, a person would say sin because they had missed the mark of the bullseye. And you see, Christmas began because we were sinners. Humanity had sinned against God. 
We had created this wall and this barrier between us and God called sin. And so we needed that barrier to be removed. And so God had to send his son as a sacrifice and an offering to shed his blood so that we could have the remission of our sin and be saved from our sin. So if you think about it, I want to give you a little different perspective on Christmas. And, and hopefully by the end of this message, maybe give you um, a different perspective as we look at uh, this Christmas uh, message this morning. So let's talk about the real meaning of Christmas. Today's message specifically is entitled, How the Incarnation Still Brings Reconciliation. Because we need reconciliation between us and God. And it came through his son, Jesus Christ. So if you've, in, so if you've turned in your Bibles to Isaiah uh, chapter 9, verse 6, we're just going to read this one verse, which says here in Isaiah chapter 9, beginning with verse 6, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, as we look into your word this morning, I am praying that you would convict us, that you would challenge us, and that you would change us through your Holy Spirit, O Lord our God. We thank you for this Christmas season. We thank you for the birth of your son, Jesus Christ, who was born to eventually die for our sin, but to be gloriously resurrected three days later. What incredibly good news. So, Lord, I pray that we would be challenged this morning to view Christmas in a different way than when we came in this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, this morning, um, as we begin this message, I want to give you just a quick background of this passage, and then we're going to get right into the notes. Uh, Isaiah chapter 9 was written by a a guy named, guess, guess, guess his name. Isaiah. Yeah. It was written by a prophet of God named Isaiah. And so to understand what's going on, why uh, Isaiah is writing this particular chapter in the book of Isaiah, you've got to understand just a quick bit of Israel's history. Uh, During this time period, Israel was really two nations. You had the northern kingdom, and then you had the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was called Israel, and the southern kingdom, made up of two tribes, uh, was called Judah. And so there was this uh, little bit of a civil war between these uh, two countries. They didn't like each other, even though uh, they were both the chill, God's chosen people, the Jewish people, the Hebrew people. And so uh, the northern kingdom, they were just always evil, you know, always doing evil in the eyes of the Lord. Judah, you know, they would have good kings that would do right in the eyes of the Lord. And sometimes they had, you know, bad kings that would do evil in the sight of the Lord. Well, during this time of Isaiah, there was this king in Judah because Isaiah ministered mainly to this southern kingdom of Judah. There was a king named King Ahaz. 
And he wasn't the sharpest tool in the shed, all right? He did not always do right in the eyes of the Lord. And so, uh, but Isaiah really tried to help him out. Uh, he had some other people that surrounded him. But again, he did make some boneheaded decisions. Anybody in here ever made boneheaded decisions? Raise your hand. Yep, yep, we all guilty. Um, so, so here's the thing, is the northern kingdom had uh, partnered with the Syrians and their goal was to take over the southern kingdom of Judah. But God said, hey, just believe in me, be faithful, I will deliver Judah. And here comes the boneheaded decision King Ahaz made. Did he listen to God? No. Like a lot of us, he took matters into his own hands. Has anybody ever taken matters into their own hands? Come on, let's see those hands. Yeah, yeah. And for those of you who didn't raise your hand, we'll talk online next week. But anyway, uh, I'm just kidding. But anyway, um, Ahaz did not want to wait on the Lord. And so he gets a lot of silver and gold, and he pays another country called Assyria to come and defeat the northern kingdom and to defeat the Syrians and run them off. But he was not obedient to God. He took matters into his own hands. And guess what happened? After Assyria, the people that they paid to, to, to take care of their problem, guess what happens? They begin to turn on the southern kingdom. And so you have this Assyrian crisis going on. And so Isaiah writes this passage um, to kind of give hope of uh, Judah and, and, and its future, okay? And so that's the context of why he's writing here. But while he's writing chapter 9, he talks about how there will be a Messiah who will come in the future, who will bring peace not only to Israel, but to the entire world. And we know his name today, and his name is Jesus. And so it says here in this passage, and this is the, we're going to, we're going to deal only with this first part of the passage today. You'll have to come the next three weeks to get the rest of the message, but we're going to deal with this first uh, few phrases here in this passage today. The phrase for to us, a child is born and to us, a son is given. I want you to see something here today that God did four things to bring good news to us as humanity. And so the first thing that I want you to see here today in your notes is that the first thing that God did was God did something humble. God did something humble. Um, when you look at the birth of Christ, we sometimes will call that the incarnation or God incarnate. Uh, that word means that God came in flesh. And so when you hear me say God uh, incarnate or incarnation today, I'm talking about, you know, Jesus, God in the flesh. And so God did something humble. Uh, the key word that I want you to see here in this phrase is child. A child is born. That is God in the flesh. Jesus, when he came and was birthed in that manger, but I want you to see two things that Jesus humbly laid aside in order to accomplish God's purpose for humanity and to bring hope. 
The first thing he did that was so humble was that this, he laid aside the riches of heaven. He laid aside the riches of heaven. I want you to understand something. Jesus has always been. Now, Jesus was never created. He, he is divine. He is divine. He has always been. And what's very interesting is that Jesus had all the benefits of heaven. He had all the resources of heaven. He had all the different assets of heaven at his disposal. He, he was royalty. He is the king of kings, the Lord of lords. And he laid all that royalty to the side humbly so that he could come to this earth. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, this is a great passage of scripture that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, Paul said, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Now, I want you to say that word poor. Say it. Poor. That word poor means to be vulnerable. It means to be destitute. It means to be helpless. Jesus laid aside all his royalty, all the, the riches and glory of heaven, and became destitute, vulnerable, in a lot of ways helpless, because he had to lay down some of the uh, power that he would get to enjoy from heaven. Let me see if I can illustrate this point to you. I, you know, it's kind of hard to, to understand how much Jesus humbly gave up to come to this earth, but, but let me try. Just maybe get a, a little small taste. Um, I have five children, um, and um, their, their ages are 14, 14, 15, 17, and 20. Or actually 21. He just had a birthday. So, um, so I have five children. And so I'm going to pick on my youngest. And he gave me permission because he raised his hand this morning in 9 o'clock service. Uh, so I have a son named Brady. All right. And Brady, he's an amazing young man. He's a smart young man. Very sharp. Uh, uh, I mean, he's cute as a button. I mean, I wouldn't say that in 9 o'clock service. But, but he's a handsome fellow like, like his daddy. And, uh, but anyway, I, and I love him, you know, I would do anything for him. Now, Brady has all that he could ever need living in me and my wife's home. Um, Brady has a bed to sleep in every night. He has his own room. Uh, he has heat when it's cold. And when it's summertime, he's got AC, you know, to cool off his room. Uh, he gets, uh, you know, three, at least three meals a day. You know, he's in a teenage period. And so he, he constantly eats. Uh, but, but he has all the food that he could ever want. Um, 
You know, we take him to all of his doctor's appointments. You know, he has his own private taxi service. It's called Shane and Katrina's Taxi Service. And we taxi him wherever he needs to go, whether it's to school, tutoring, doctor's appointments or whatever. I mean, he's got everything he could possibly need. He's got clothes to wear, uh, food to eat, and, uh, you know, he gets to, you know, go uh, do things with us. I mean, we have a lot of fun together. So he's got everything he needs. But what if one day I came up to Brady and I came up to him and I gave him a passport, a cell phone, and a one-way plane ticket to the poorest country here on this earth. One of the poorest nations in the Western Hemisphere is Haiti. I've actually been there, went there two years ago on a mission trip. Very, very poor nation. Like I said, it's the third poorest country in the entire world, the first poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. And, you know, we, you know I flew into Port-au-Prince, which is a town of a million people, and it took us 20, or excuse me, it took me three hours to drive 25 miles away because of all the congestion and the confusion on the roads for a town of a million people. They only have two lanes roads. Sometimes, you know, it opened up into four lanes, but very briefly, you know, people honking, trash piled up, you know, at least knee to waist high all along these roads. I mean, you know, halfway finished buildings, you know, they experienced a devastating earthquake back in 2010, and they haven't been able to really rebuild from that. When we finally got to where we were going, just 25 miles away from the city, um, people were living in shacks that were literally just sticks with a tin roof on top. You know, if you were really wealthy, you did have an actual concrete that walls in a, uh, with tin on top. Um, you know, these people have no electricity, no running water. I mean, just very, very poor conditions. And let's say I walk up to my son and I say, Brady, for the next 33 years, I'm about to put you on an airplane. Do not pack anything. Do not pack anything. I'm putting, on your, putting you on an airplane today. And you're going to go to Haiti for 33 years. And you're going to go minister to these people Here's a cell phone. You can call me sometimes. God bless you. Good luck, son. You would probably say, well, you probably lost the uh, Parent of the Year award. I mean, you're, you're right. I would be incredibly foolish to send my son to a nation at 14 years old with no food, no clothing, nothing except maybe a way to communicate with me occasionally. Jesus laid aside the riches of heaven to come to us. What he did was very humble. The second thing I want you to see in this passage is not only did Jesus lay aside the riches of heaven, but he laid aside intimacy with the Father. Yes, Jesus continued to have fellowship with his father through prayer during his life here on earth. But he gave up that deep, intimate relationship that he had in heaven as part of the triune God. He gave up that 
really close closeness and that togetherness that he had with the Father. Kind of like if, you know, if I really did send Brady to Haiti. Yes, we would still have a phone and we could, you know, call each other. Hey, he might even find a Wi-Fi spot. Who knows? And we might could video chat. But you know what? It wouldn't be the same because we couldn't talk. You know, I couldn't, you know, hug him. I couldn't give him a high five. We couldn't go enjoy movies together. We couldn't go enjoy basketball together. We wouldn't, you know, get to, you know, be together, to pray together. They're close together. We wouldn't be able to eat together. We wouldn't be able to fellowship together. We wouldn't get to walk together. We wouldn't be able to run together. We wouldn't get to do things together. Yeah, we could still talk. We can still have that relationship, but it wouldn't be that close, intimate relationship. Jesus humbly laid that aside. Why? Because of our sin. He wanted to fix that, which kept us from God. And so here's the question I want to ask you today. Just like Jesus was humble and laid aside the riches of heaven and intimacy with the Father, let me ask you this. During this Christmas season, what do you need to humbly and voluntarily lay aside in your own life as a sign of your devotion to Jesus to accomplish God's purpose in and around and through your life today? You may need to give up some hurt or some habit, or you may need to, you know, give something financially or to give up some time or give, I I don't know what it is, but this Christmas season, what do you need to humbly give up so that God's purpose can be fulfilled in and around and through your life? Here's the application point. Let's do something humble. Let's follow the example of Jesus and humble ourselves before the Lord. So the second thing I want you to see in this passage is not only did God do something humble, but number two, God did something different. God did something different. In this passage, it says, For to us a child is born... To us, a son is given. The key word I want you to see right now is the word son. All right? Um, I want to look at two things here. Uh, We just looked at two things that Jesus gave up, that Jesus laid aside. Now I want you to see two things that Jesus did differently to accomplish God's purpose for humanity. Number one is that he added the essence of humanity to his deity. If you have a Bible, I want to go to Philippians chapter 2 for just a minute, because uh, so, I want you to see something really special here in Philippians chapter 2. In Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church of Philippi, and he's talking about how our attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And then Paul describes what Jesus's attitude was like, okay? And it says here in Philippians chapter 2, beginning with verse 6, it says, Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, 
but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. I want you to look at verse 7. It says here that he, um, it says here that he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of the ser- of a servant. Say the word taking. Say it again, taking. Say it like you mean it, taking. That's a very important word there. Because this word, when you look at it in the original language of Koine Greek, which the New Testament was written in, that word literally means to lay hold of aggressively. It means to accept something with initiative. It means uh, it's very assertive. And so Jesus took very assertively, uh, he took very aggressively this human nature. Why did he do that? Because we were missing the mark. We needed a savior. And so God did something different. You know, the Old Testament, they had the sacrificial system of where they were, you know, sacrificing goats and rams and lambs. But but that wasn't enough. There had to be a perfect sacrifice. And Jesus did something differently. He took hold of that. He didn't whine about it. He didn't complain about it. You know, when I, you know, we were talking about, you know, what if I gave Brady a plane ticket, you know, and to go to Haiti, you know, if, if, if I'd have done that with Brady, I said, Hey, here's your passport. Here's your ticket. Here's your phone. You're going to Haiti. See you in 33 years. You know what he would have done? What you talking about, Willis? You know, he, he would think I'm out of my mind. He'd be like, no way I'm going to do that. Are you out of your mind, Dad? Mom, you know what Dad wants me to do? You know, he would complain. He would whine. There was no way he would take hold of that. But Jesus, he didn't complain. He didn't whine. He took hold of that humanity. And one of the greatest mysteries to me in the scripture, how God was in the flesh. How Jesus is fully God and fully man. What an incredible mystery, but I'm glad that God did it because because of it, we are saved. He added the essence of humanity. He didn't, you know, it's a wonderful thing. Second thing I want you to see that Jesus did differently here was not only did he add the essence of humanity to his deity, but he died the most humiliating death possible. I want you to think of, I want want us to look at three things concerning the death of Jesus in this passage. Number one, his death was painful. It was a painful death. From the accounts of Jesus' crucifixion in the historical records, we can conclude it was one of the most painful ways to die. Um, Maybe in another message sometime, I can read a medical description 
that doctors have put together of, of kind of the uh, death and crucifixion of Jesus. But basically, Jesus probably died of suffocation because he didn't have any more strength anymore to pull himself up on the cross to grab that breath. I mean, after all, he'd been whipped, beaten, mocked, spit upon, nails driven through his hands, through his feet, a crown of thorns on his uh, head. It was a painful experience. In fact, uh, the Roman historian Julius Pelaeus listed crucifixion as the number one worst of all the capital punishments of the Roman Empire. He listed it ahead of death by burning. He listed it ahead death by beheading. He listed it ahead of death by wild beasts. It was a painful way to die. God did something different so that we can be, have that sin removed. Not only was it a painful death, but it was a humiliating death. A humiliating death. Um, What's not apparent in a lot of these accounts that you read in Scripture um, is that it was a humiliating death because we've probably all seen pictures of the crucifixion of Christ. We've probably seen artist renditions, pictures. And in those pictures, you probably see Jesus with a loincloth around his waist. But during that time, the Roman historical records reveal that most subjects of crucifixion were completely stripped of any clothes and any coverings, and they were totally exposed naked on the cross. That is a humiliating death. And the Romans considered that humiliation of the crucifixion process an effective crime deterrent. God did something different so he could save us from our sin. Jesus died not only a painful death, but a humiliating death. But he also died a very lonely death. In Mark chapter 15, verse 34, Jesus screams out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That word forsake means to abandon. So probably the first time ever, God had to turn his back on Jesus because the sins of the world had been heaped upon Jesus. And that relationship for just that short time, was abandoned that Jesus had enjoyed for all eternity and even for his ministry while on earth. So in summary, Jesus died the most painful, humiliating, and lonely death that anybody has ever probably died. And if we can just comprehend just a little bit, just a little bit, how much Jesus loves us and to what lengths he was willing to go to in order to demonstrate that love, then we can really never view Christmas the same again. God did something different. We need to view Christmas differently. Yes, we can still have fun, exchange gifts, but we need to remember the true meaning of Christmas is Jesus did something different so that we could have a relationship with God the Father. Here's the question I want to ask you today in your notes. What can I do differently 
in my life to show my devotion to God and impact humanity with the good news of Jesus. The application point is this. Do something different. Do something different. What is God calling you to do this Christmas that is different, that would make a difference for His kingdom, for His glory, for His honor? Third thing I want you to see in this passage, not only did God do something humble, not only did he do something different, but God did something active. God did something active. When you look in this passage again in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. Say the word given. That's right, given. John three sixteen. Everyone probably knows it. If not, it's a goodie. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. You see, God did something active. He gave his son. Jesus did not do something humble. He didn't do anything different. He didn't do something active just to get his name in the paper or to be the lead story on the news. He did it because he was willing to get involved with this sin problem. He was willing to do it because of his love for us. I want you to see the purpose of the incarnation. You know, when Jesus came in flesh, what was the purpose of the incarnation? There's four things I want you to see here real quick. Number one... He came to declare God's love, all right? God's love is unconditional. God's love is unending, and God's love is unselfish. He came to declare that God loves you. He loves the nation of Israel. He loves all people, and he wants to bring peace, not just in a physical sense or in a political sense. He came to give us peace in a spiritual sense, because we had a problem. We deserve death and hell because of our sin. But Jesus came and said, I want to do something about that. And so he came to declare, God loves you and me. Secondly, he came to teach God's truths. He declared God's love and he taught God's truth. He taught that love is the greatest commandment. When asked what the greatest commandment is, Jesus said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. He also came to show us that obedience is better than sacrifice. God came, or Jesus came, to show us that, yeah, the law is good because it points out our sin, but law will not save. But God's love does save. Through his son, Jesus Christ. He came to show us that salvation is through faith alone, not of works. That's good news. He also came, number three, to set an example to follow. He came to set us an example that we should follow as children of God. He came to uh, set the example that all people are important and significant to God. When you look in scripture, Jesus ministered to the diseased, the difficult, the disabled, the despised, the dangerous. You know, he, he, uh, you know, showed that people that are diseased are still important because he healed the leper. He healed Peter's mother-in-law who was sick. 
He came to show people are significant and important that were disabled because he gave hearing to the blind. Or excuse me, he gave hearing to the deaf. He gave sight to the blind. Jesus came to bring healing to those people, not just physically, but spiritually as well. He came to uh, minister to the despised, you know, the adulteress, the prostitutes, the uh, Roman centurion, the tax collectors, these people that were hated by Hebrew people. He showed love. He set an example that people are important and significant. He came to minister to the dangerous, like the demoniac who was, you know, cutting himself and screaming and yelling. People didn't want to be around him, yet he gave him new life when he drove the demon out. He healed him physically, but also spiritually. You know, Jesus showed that people are significant. He dealt with the difficult, which were the kings and and the religious leaders. He came to show us an example that in order to be great, you must serve. You know, he got down and washed the disciples' feet to show that that is a great way to humble yourself because greatness comes through service, not through popularity or money or power. He came to show us the example that in order to be exalted, you must live humbly. But the greatest thing he came and did for us, the biggest purpose of his incarnation is number four, to die for our sins. Jesus, in the state of his eternal glory, could not die. Therefore, it became necessary for God to become man that he might be able to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, God's word says, In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness, no remission of sin. Hebrews 9, verse 26 says, But he has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, God's word tells us, For you know that it was... Not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. But it was with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Jesus became active in our world to save us from our sin. Here's the question I want to ask you this Christmas season. The question is this, what am I actively doing to share the good news with humanity? God shared the good news. He actively got involved, sent his son. What are we doing to actively get involved in sharing the good news of this season with our community, with our you know, people we work with, the people in our neighborhood? Application point is this, do something active. Don't just sit on the sidelines and watch the game called Christianity. Get in the game. Get active. That's what God did for us. We can honor him by being active in our Christianity and sharing that good news and sharing that love, declaring God's truths and setting that example. All right, finally, 
Not only was God humble, not only did God do something humble, not only did God uh, do something different, not only did he do something active, but fourth and finally, God did something personal. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, there's a word that is used twice, just in this short phrase. For to us, a child is born, to us, a son is given. What is that word? Us. God did something personal for each and every one of us. This same ideal is repeated in the New Testament when in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, God's word says the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. You see, God was no longer far away. God was no longer unapproachable. He was accessible because you could see him. You could hear him. You could touch him, feel him. He was God in the flesh, God incarnate, the incarnation of God. He did something personal. You see, this wasn't a Facebook connection. It wasn't a Snapchat connection. It wasn't an Instagram post connection. It was real. And so because of that, because God did something personal, I believe there's three things that we must do to respond to the gospel. And these are in your notes. The first thing that we must do to respond to the gospel is that, number one, God desires that we receive the good news. In John chapter 1, verse 12, God's word says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. I believe a lot of people in this room have made that decision to receive God's gift of salvation. And every Christmas, I believe it is a great way for us to share with the world the good news of Jesus and how he gives us the gift of salvation. But people have to receive it. Just like when I give a gift, you know, for Christmas, you know, let's say I want to give a gift to my son Brady since I've used him, you know, in in the uh, illustrations today, you know, He's got to take that gift, you know, in order to receive it. You know, it's kind of like this morning, you know. I have $5. Who wants it? There you go. Good job. All right, you're going to have to tell me your name again. Darian. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. All right. Darian. Man, he came over the pew. He wanted it. He took it with assertiveness, initiative. I like that. But you know what? There were several of you in here that raised your hand. You're like, yeah, I want five bucks. By the way, Darian, that goes to the Lottie Moon offering. Um... (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm just giving you a hard time, bro. I'm just giving you a hard time, bro. Uh, but anyway, um, but Darian was the only one that actually received the gift. I was offering it, and a lot of you wanted it, but only Darian came up and took it and received it. I think during the Christmas season, I think a lot of people, you know, they'll come to church, they'll hear about the gospel, but they'll sit there and not receive the gift God has given them of a meaningful, purpose-filled, abundant life because they get really close. And Darian, you actually got close. You actually had to kind of jump up to get it. But a lot of people would even give up there and not even jump to get it. You see, you have to receive. You have to receive the gospel. For some of you in the room today, you may have never received the good news of Jesus Christ. In just a few moments here, in just a few minutes, we're going to have a time of response where you can come talk to me or one of the elders of the church. And we would love to sit down with you, pray with you on how you can receive God's gift of salvation by simply repenting of your sin and turning to God and believing in him. But for those of you who have already received the gift of salvation, there's two more things we got to do to respond to this gospel that is personal. Number one, not only receive it, but number two, God commands us to replicate it. God commands us to replicate it. The great commission of Jesus in Matthew 28, Jesus said, Go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them or baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. And lo, I am with you always. We are to make disciples. Who are you mentoring? Who are you investing your time in? Jesus invested his time in us. He personally came down. Who are you personally investing your life in? As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Who are you sharpening? Who are you giving your life to, pouring your life into? You are not a true disciple of Jesus until you make a disciple. Make disciples. That is another way we respond to the gospel. And then finally, number three, we need to repeat it. Acts 1.8 says, um, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in all Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. We are called to be witnesses. Not just one time, but for a lifetime. A witness testifies to what they have seen and heard. I know for me, God has saved me. He has given me purpose and meaning and abundant life. And I want to tell people, uh, not just here, but everywhere, that I am redeemed. Because God did something personal in my life. I want to help you make that personal decision to follow Jesus in your life. So here's the question I want to ask you. How does God want me to personally respond to the gospel today? For some of you, you may need to receive it. For some of you, you need to pray and ask God to, to forgive you of your sins and receive that gift of salvation. For some of you today, you need to get serious about investing your life in another 
you know, what I would call a, a Christian who may not be far along in his walk that you may be. Some of you, you need to personally get involved by being a witness with your family, with uh, your co-workers, or wherever God sends in your path. You need to get personal about responding to the gospel today. Application point is simply this. Do something personal. Do something personal. So I'm going to ask the uh, worship team to come forward and to begin playing softly. We are about to enter into a, a time of response. This is God's invitation to you this morning. In just a few moments, I'm going to pray. At the conclusion of the prayer, we're going to stand and we're going to start singing. And as we are singing, I'm going to be at the front. Some of our church elders are going to be at the front. And if you need to receive the gospel, the salvation, the good news of Jesus Christ, we will be here to pray with you. For others of you, God may have convicted you or challenged you in some way on how you need to be personal or active or doing something different in your life or how you need to humble yourself. You may need to come to these altars. An altar is a place where something dies. There may be a hurt, a habit, a hang-up that needs to die at these altars today. Give that to the Lord today. But this Christmas season, I want to challenge us. Just like God did something different, just like God did something active, just like God did something humble, just like God did something personal, let's follow that example today. I'm going to pray, and at the conclusion of the prayer, we're going to stand and we're going to sing. You do business with God today. Heavenly Father, as we enter this time of response, I am praying, Lord, that you would knock down any barriers of pride or embarrassment that God, people would come to these altars, that they would make things right with those that they may need uh, to get right with. Or, Lord, they just may need somebody to pray with them about something they're dealing with. Lord, whatever it is, I pray people would not be ashamed to do business with you today. So, Lord, we give you this time of response. Speak to our hearts. Help us to obey and respond in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and let us sing.